So I think we're making really good progress uh, with our with our Derek Hashem. I feel that we we're moving through the text. Um, we're discussing primarily the last um, the last couple of sessions the idea of the cloud. The cloud has been something which is actually as a result of what we've been discussing has been something which has been echoing in my head as well quite a lot. Trying to find our clearly yesterday we spoke about the cloud of movement. And I've been playing around with that inside of the way I move my body, what exactly is the fundamental principle of movement. And it's, it's caused me to think about a lot of different things. For example, the cloud of brochas, the cloud of davening. I was about to daven Shmonesri and I thought, what, what is the cloud of here? What's, what's the thing that defines it? What's the underlying, what's the underlying point that makes everything else, that everything else works around, everything else is an expression thereof? And then there's really like, it just creates so much, so much fertile ground for thought. Because then you start to think, well, what's the color of relationships and this relationship that I have with Zach? What is the color? And I found it very, very um, beneficial because it could focus on, it could give me a power of interacting with my reality. All of a sudden, I start to mediate with myself. I discovered more and more my inner teacher. You follow? My inner teacher. What's my inner teacher? And, and in learning in my Gomorrah Enshir, it was such an interesting kind of movement from what we began. Remember, the whole, we began discussing the cloud by quoting the tennis coach analogy, where instead of teaching the person to hold his racket in a particular fashion and to swing in a particular fashion, to hold his elbow at a certain angle, rather we said, bounce, hit bounce head. Everything else revolves around the bounce head. Uh, occasionally you've probably got, you know, where you can volley a shot or two, but in ger- generally what you're doing is bounce hit, bounce hit. So I thought, what's the rhythm? Because that's quite rhythmical. What's the rhythm of learning? What's the rhythm of learning a Gemara? What's the rhythm of learning a Tosis? So obviously it's maybe a more s- sophisticated, a more complex rhythm. But what we well, we kind of figured out there's, there is, there was also just, there's also a bounce hit rhythm. It's read, think, read, think, hear, think, see, think. And then, of course, the reading and the hearing and the thinking can be subdivided and subdivided and subdivided. But it's a great, it's a great starting point to get what's going on. That's the movement, Joel. Follow me. That's the movement. Let's continue. We're um, ending nearing the end of the, of the introduction of the Ramchal, and of course, of course, of course, this is just the introduction. This is kind of putting into, putting into, um, putting into place, putting into place a lot, of the, a lot of the cognitive awareness that we need to have in order to progress into the Sefer, because he'll be discussing. And the way I, the way I, I kind of conceive of the Sefer is that the Sefer, this, this particular work, Derech Hashem, he starts off it's, it's like a pyramid. And he starts off with, with the cloud, the biggest cloud, and then he moves down and subdivides, 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 subdivides. And you, keep, you can always trace it back, and always trace it back, and always trace it back. Shlomo. With regard to the whole like bounce hit or read think, yeah. are these like methods by which we decipher what the cloud is, or, or like after we know what the cloud is, we use those methods to like decipher different aspects underneath it? I'm not sure if I completely grasped your question. In other words, bounce it is the overarching cloud of the way we experience learning. 
you could, you could, you could, for example, you could say a different principle of learning. Instead of saying, instead of saying, learn or read, think, you could say, read, remember, read, remember, read, remember. And often, in, in, in like, unfortunately, in some educational systems, that's the focus. Information, given information, absorb. Information, absorb. Information, absorb. So that kind of principle is what we're trying to steer away from. It's not about the absorption of the information. It's about the engagement in the information. We need to do something with it. We have to be active and not passive. We have to be active. We have to be, we have to be alive in this world. We have to be engaged in conscious living, not just going through as passengers in our own lifetimes. And that's really, this, this book facilitates a lot of that process and expands and expands and expands until... Until the world, the world I, I don't know, but for me, even just by taking these small lessons and applying them to my life, all of a sudden, you learn enormous amounts. You just ask yourself, well, what was the, what was the underlying... You know, for example, yesterday we were discussing the notion of movement, and I suggested that you can, a very, the, let's say, a very effective way of economy of energy in movement is to begin all movement from the central part of your body and instead of using muscular power you rather use the force of momentum, the force of the movement. And that can work both in terms of moving your limbs and also in terms of moving the direction of your body through walking and running instead of pushing up with your muscles, you let your body fall forward, you let your body fall back, and the central focus of your movement is always in the, the center, just beneath your belly button, as you move around and around in circles. We, we did that, right? So someone said, well, how do you write like that? So, so it's fascinating for me to see if from this movement, so you can make gross motor coordination but can you do fine motor coordination working from moving slight movements of your, of your, of your core area? So as a result, uh, th that opened up a whole area of investigation. How I write, how the movement of the fine movement of my wrist and my fingers is related to my arm, is related to my shoulder, is related to my torso, is related to my... Do I move my toes when I write? I don't think I do, but maybe I should. <laughs> maybe it would be a more complete experience of the feeling the letters coming through the entirety of my being. It could be quite, quite deep. So it's quite interesting. I was playing around with a little bit of um, artistic expression with a few, a few, a few of the, a few of the, my teachers um, in the yeshiva, and I asked them to to just by using a line different kinds of lines a soft line a hard line and then I ask them to to do an angry line and a happy line and that was such a fascinating experience because what it forced the person to do was to translate an emotion into a motor action which then left an impression on a piece of paper so I was very much interested in how they would, how they would pan out. So last night, my seven-year-old son comes to me, and he's written this like, uh, Shana Tova card for, me, for myself and my wife, uh, to Abba and Emma. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant what he did. He wanted to present the three books that are open on Rosh Hashanah. Sefer Shatzadikim, 
the book of the righteous, Sefer Shel Rishon, the book of the evil, and the Sefer Shel Beinonim. So I don't know what he was thinking. He did this of his own volition, like his own mini like on the side art project. But he had to think of a way of designing what does a Sefer Shel Tzadikim look like? And what does a Sefer Shel Beinonim look like? And what does a Sefer Shel Rishon look like? Like what's written inside there? Or the, how, you, how do you differentiate? He didn't write. This is that. This is Sefer Shazadikim. He had to show in what the content on the page was. <laughs> I was blown away. So how do you think he did it? It was fascinating. Sefer Shazadikim, he did a series of straight lines. Interrupted straight lines. Sefer Shorashoim, the wicked Sefer, which was like this, this random, like just scribbles. And the Sefer Shabbinonim, it was two pages. The one page was straight lines and the one page was scribbles. I thought that was ingenious. He'd taken concepts, really complex concepts, and he found a very simple line expression of what each concept... The concept of a Rasha being this person that everything's in, 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 in disorder, it's chaos. The concept of Tzadik is everything in space, and the concept of Beinoni, when there's this conflict between there's chaos and there's order. Okay, isn't that the most... I mean... Clearly, I'm a parent figure in this <laughs> description. <laughs> that was absolutely brilliant. But what was interesting is it was so pronounced is because I've been doing exactly that kind of exercise with people during the course of the day. So that kind of jumped out at me. It was, it was fascinating. So that's seeing the cloud. That's seeing the cloud. That's seeing the... The, 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 the cloud is like the energy behind it. It's where the thing draws its substance from. That's really what the cloud is energized from that point it's almost you could say it's like it's a spiritual source of the physical action the closer you get to the cloud the closer you get to the principle the more you move to the to the spiritual aspect the conceptual and the more you go down into the practical so then the more you removed from the from the spiritual so it's always about tracing it back because then you spiritualize the moment that you're in the now, what I love about this sentence that the Ramchal says, he says, based on, on these fundamental principles, I've composed this work. And then he says, my pleasant reader. I find the, the engaging style extremely encouraging. It's not like he's this professor sitting in some type of ivory tower and dictating, by the way, gentlemen, this is the correct way of understanding. This is a very cognitive book. But in this line, it's just gushing out with emotion. He's saying, I want to connect to you. I'm calling you my, my dear reader. My noim. I'm speaking directly to you. Let's, this, this book is not about a presentation of cold facts. This book is about a relationship that we're about to begin. And that, as, as an aside, that's one of the most crucial things that we can learn as people who are furthering, furthering ourselves in the study of Torah. It's about creating dialogues with the different books that you are studying at the time. Because what happens is, because Torah is a description of life, so when you have a book, so you have to start a dialogue with the author of the book that he's speaking to, and what you'll find is, he'll start to speak to you through your life. Because the points that he, man- that he mentions, you'll become aware of how they occur in your life, and then you can bring them back to him and say, but one second, you said yesterday when I studied you that this situation really is described by this principle. I don't know if that's true. And then you engage in a dialogue with him. And then what happens is he becomes your, your 
accompanying guide to life. Which I think is a very important idea that you can take on a Sefer as, as one of your Rebbe's. You need a live Rebbe that speaks, you need an internal Rebbe that you can communicate with, your Seichel's your Rebbe, and you need, an, you, need, you, need, you need a book as a Rebbe as well. All, these, all the other Rebbe's teach your internal Rebbe how to be a Rebbe. A madrich, a guide, a mentor, a teacher. Shlomo. You answer my question. Good. Okay. With us, Gav. Body and soul. Good. Um... That's why I put these things together. Chibur Kotonze calls us a small, a small, a very small book. This is not, this is not a long book. This is not like a treatise. This is not a sixteen-volume. This is like something which is very, very precise. It's very condensed to give you this idea. And he's speaking to us directly in the second person. What I wanted to do for you. I wanted to put to you across the principles, the klolim, only the klolim of imuna, of our faith, and vavoida, and our service, clearly. I want to paint a very clear and precise picture of what the world looks like, looks like, seen through the eyes of Torah, and what do we do? There's two points. There's imuna and there's avoida. There's the, the perspective of what's going on, what's the underlying system, and there's avoida. What do we actually do? Our actions. I want to put those both across to you. In order that you should be able to stand upon them so- solidly, understand them. And that you'll be able to understand in your mind a sufficient Literally speaking, you translated, you could, inv- you could visualize in your mind a complete visualization. Saved from confusion, mixing up, and um, being confounded by. I had this great experience this morning. Again, you see how the, the book becomes a dialogue. I was walking to show. And every morning when I walk to Shul, I pass the garden. And every morning, right about the time when I'm going to Shul, I can hear the trickles of water as the garden's being watered. And then next to Shul, there's a flower bed. And it's just filled with weeds. And I suddenly thought, that's what the Ramchal means when he described the garden and the Choyer Shaikonim, this like just overgrowth. And the reason why I noticed it is because they trimmed the weeds along the side of the wall. But it was so pronounced, the difference of this garden, which has got this perfect arrangement of different flowers blossoming at different times, and there's just this, this like confused mixture of whatever plant has happened to turn up that day is growing, and the weeds are, are eating away at the, at the plants which are struggling to survive, and it was just created... I saw something I wouldn't have seen. Again, see, think. See, think. See, think. Klau. Vatire. So what's going to happen? So I'm going to be able to pre- present with you a, a vision of what's going on. Vatire. You'll be able to see the roots and the branches in the right structure, in the right level with the, the, the highest degree of clarity possible. She's Yashva Alibcha. 
which then will give you a sense of emotional quietitude. It will, it will sit on your heart. And you'll be able to grasp them in your mind in the best possible way. Once we've got these principles clear, so everything else we learn, we can relate back to this model of perception. It will assist us to be able to stand upon all the secrets of the Torah. According to the bracha that Hashem gives us. Now this is actually not an, just flowery language that he says according to the bracha that Hashem gives you. In the interaction of the study of Torah, there is a spiritual component which is a crucial one. The access to the gates of knowledge are not open to all. There's an entire component of the study of Torah, which differentiates it from the normal study of secular wisdom. Secular wisdom, the point of the information is beneficial, but it doesn't have a sacred component to it. You can study it whilst you're reclining on the king's throne, a euphemism for the place where the queen goes alone, which is a euphemism for a water closet, which is a euphemism for a bathroom, which is a euphemism for, as they say in English, a toilet. So whilst you're on that reclining place, you can study all the secular knowledges in the world. There is no problem. There's nothing inappropriate with the lowly act of sitting alone and the act of studying these sciences. Whereas when it comes to the study of Torah, there's a context which is required. You can't do it with dirty hands. You can't do it if the place smells. Certainly not in the bathroom. You can't do it if you, if you are being stimulated sexually around people who are immodestly clad. There has, to be a certain, there has to be a certain sanctity to the study of Torah and a certain gravity to the study of Torah. Because the study of Torah itself needs a vessel to contain it. And the vessel that contains the information of Torah is a state of mind that you need to create, which we call, for want of a better word, God consciousness. Because it's a sacred act, meaning it's not just I'm giving information, but really I'm relating to you the secrets of Torah. Because anytime we study Torah, what we're really doing is we're retracing our steps back to the mountain of Sinai and we're involved in a divine revelation. So when you're speaking to the divine, or at least you're listening to the divine, so you have to be prepared to do so. And that's why even until this present day, or at least it's, it's, it's been revoked, but as you go further in your study of the tractate of Brochus, you'll find there were certain states of impurity that a person was, was, was outlawed, the study of Torah was outlawed, because he wasn't in the right state to conduct the study of Torah. The study of Torah ultimately is we're trying to hear the voice of the Creator through the words written on the page. And therefore, because there's that point, so there are also degrees to which a person will be privy to access the knowledge and sometimes he will not be allowed access. If he's unworthy, so he may be able to glean the external expression, the shell of Torah, which is sometimes contained in the concepts, but he won't be able to contain the essence of what the Torah has to convey to him. He'll, he'll leave off with, there's a notion which is called chamor goyem svarim, a donkey bearing books. A person can become a Torah donkey that buries Torah books, but you remain a donkey. Or you can incorporate the ideas. You can become a living, breathing, which is a goal of all of us, a living, breathing, safer Torah. We should be able to express through our actions the ideas that we learn and not just rattle them off. 
So that's why he says that the Velamoidal you can be able through my introductory presentation to be able to stand upon the secrets of the Torah, but it's dependent. According to the bracha that Hashem gives you. The more bracha, the more you have an insight, the less bracha. Now, in terms of my own experience, what I found possibly the uh, continual inspiration of Torah is that in every aspect of Torah, from the Chumash to Gemara to certainly the deeper understandings of Torah, there is never a time in my life through my career of study that I've become bored by going over passages that I've gone over before. The, the time when I started learning Derek Hashem was 25 years ago. And actually Derek Hashem is, is, has quite an important personal meaning for me because in my entrance into Judaism it was the first exposure that I had. What's even more interesting is this how that all happened. Imagine me 25 years ago. A lot of things were different. The amount of follicle endowment <laughs> that I enjoyed was enormously increased. Not only that, but the style in which I wore those golden braids cascaded down to my shoulders. And being a fine arts student, I was very completely, completely um, not obsessed with my image at all, which translates as being obsessed with not being obsessed with my image. So the image that I didn't project was very carefully chosen. <laughs> and I arrived at this party where in the times it was still in the apartheid years of South Africa and a friend of mine, there was compulsory conscription for white people and a friend of mine was being conscripted, a brother of a friend of mine was being conscripted into the army so there was like a farewell party for him. And I arrived late at the party and... Um, they mentioned one of our friend's brothers had become, the expression we used was Meshuggah from. Translated into English goes something like mad religious. Like, as far as we heard, and there are only rumors, but apparently he'd been at this part and people had seen him with his own two eyes, he'd moved over to monochromatic dress. We found this shocking. We found this completely, completely weird and wild. And he was a very charismatic person. And whilst he was at the party, he managed to share the fact that there's this, this, this sheer going on on a Thursday night and it's a must to attend. So I got there and a friend of mine said, listen, would I be keen to go with him? So three of us that first Thursday night turned up at a share and it happened to be on this work of Kabbalah, which itself was quite an exciting thing. We like Kabbalah. I don't know what it is, but it's got that ring to it, hasn't it? So we get into this work and there was this rabbi, a dynamic American rabbi who was teaching this, you know, for South Africans, dynamic and American is like two novelties. It's like almost like watching TV. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have to understand, in the part years, there was a boycott on South Africa. So any TV programs, first of all, there was censorship. T- TV only was allowed into South Africa in 1976. It was banned because of SNES reasons. They didn't use the word SNES. Use the word, they used the word, uh, let's say, moral reasons. So there was, there, there was a, the government was a Calvinist Christian government and they felt that it was immoral to have TV. They um, decided in 76 that they would and TV was limited to three or four hours a day 
and all the programs were heavily censored by a group of righteous individuals who went through all the dodgy material and they extracted it. Of course, they had to put themselves through that punishment to make sure that the masses didn't get influenced. And we can imagine how much they suffered going through that process. Oh, no, that, let's just look at that again. Oh, no, 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 no. One more time. So, uh, <laughs> so what happened was, that was bad enough. So the TV didn't start off with fantastic quality. As apartheid continued, and the boycotts grew into the 80s and the 90s, so there was a ban, um, an equity ban, I think it was called, of all entertainment agencies that wouldn't supply programs to South Africa unless they were 20 years old. So what happened is, you had like the programs that no one wanted to watch, and they were 20 years old, and that was like what they were screening on South African TV. So a dynamic American rabbi itself was already entertaining. To understand, you didn't have to. You didn't have to do anything else. You just had to appear. And I went to the share, and it was for me. It was like I felt. This was the experience that I felt by when I began doing Derech Hashem. I felt as if I'd been swimming underwater, and someone had given me goggles, and then I could look. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if you had that experience when you swim underwater with goggles. For some reason, there's a kind of there's a there's a jarring nature to the clarity that you experience. That's what I felt like. The twist in the story is that there are three of us. They went to that first year. None of us at the time were really properly Shomer Mitzvahs. Of those three, so the first person, the third person dropped out after one year. He said, I'm not going back there again. It's too scary. I may have to change my life. So he dropped out. And me and the second person um, carried on going. And we both became from. Um, well, if you can call me from. And. Meshuggah um, from. So he didn't become as Meshuggah from as me in terms of the strange penguin dress. But nevertheless, both became from. And the twist in the story is, the dynamic American rabbi was Rabbi Wiener. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That was like a great twist. Um, and then, like, because he was in South Africa being a student rabbi and stuff, and then only years later did I then have to come and like, oh, hi, I'm here for a job. He said, oh, I've seen you before. Mm, your hair's gone shorter. Um, <laughs> so that was that was very interesting. The third person, the third story, the third story is so the third guy. He he was not shem mitzvahs. He was not shem mitzvahs. He's not shem mitzvahs. And so we're talking about twenty-five years ago. He's become from in the last three years. So of all those three people, all three are now shem mitzvahs. Fascinating. Anyway, back to our book. So. I've endeavored to establish the order, organize this book in a way that the order will be the most appropriate. And my choice of word was the most appropriate choice of word that I could think of. To give you a clear picture of what I wanted to express to you. In other words, he's saying to, he's saying to us, be aware of my words. Go through the language carefully. Because I'm out here to be communicate as clearly as I possibly can. And therefore, don't gloss, gloss over my words. Take each word and focus on it because I meant what exactly what I said. It was this careful thought. Think about the, 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 the Ramchal died relatively young. I think he died when he was 39. And he was a master of, of, of all, the, all the fields of Torah, specifically in the area of Kabbalah. And he's, one, he's known as one of the most erudite transmitters of the Kabbalah of the Arizal. 
he put the Arizal's Kabbalistic framework into words which were access- accessible to the masses. So we have to be very, very fastidious about appreciating a turn of phrase, an extra word, a choice of word when studying the book. Now you too now, be exacting. Guard everything carefully. Until you'll find a place where this will be beneficial to you. Don't overlook any nuance in language. Lest you miss out on something which is imperative. This is what I want you to do. Be careful on each and every word. Make a point of trying to grasp the precise nature of the content and to stand upon the truth in your mind. And then you will find the rest that you seek. I've called this book the way of God. It's a summary of the ways. It's a cloud of the ways of Hashem. That He revealed to us through His prophets and told us about through His Torah. And through these ways He guides us and guides, guides the entire creation. The book is subdivided into four categories. The first section I'll be dealing with the foundation of reality and all its details. The second part deals with Hashem's providence, how He interacts and engages in the world, guides and manipulates different factors within the created world. The third section will deal with prophecy. And the fourth section will deal with our service to Hashem, all the mitzvahs, what, the, what, what are the parameters of them, and I call us his brother. And now my brother, you are seeking Hashem, walk in this path, and then Hashem be with you, let him give you the eyes to see, and the ears to hear, the hidden wonders of his Torah, Amen, Kain Yerotzoin.